Well, I'll tell you what, it's so nice to know you have access to the throne room of heaven, right? Yeah. It's really nice to uh, <clears throat> actually know you have access to the real person in charge. That's right. And um, so I don't know about you, but I've been greatly burdened over this situation, and I hope all of you are praying. And I just want to just say again, uh, you all have, can make a difference uh, with your prayers. So you think, well, that's such a simple thing, right? You know, silly thing. It's not a silly thing. Matter of fact, can you imagine what's happened in this whole situation where God has just brought such an amazing um, uh, group of uh, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation together to pray over this one thing that we can unite on and ask justice over the land and pray for all the people and all the difficult situations. Lord, I just like to also pray for the wisdom of our leaders. Lord, just give them wisdom, those that are on the land, on uh, site there and all the rulers of that area and that region. Just pray the wisdom of God would prevail. And Lord, we know your purposes are going to prevail, but let's pray for wisdom, and especially those that find them in very dark places and any hostage right now that's just in a very dark space and crying out to you. I pray, God, you would hear their prayers in Jesus' name. And I pray we would all see the miracle hand of God move across, the redemptive hand of God move across that area in Jesus' name. And uh, so uh, we usually have a time where we pray over people um, uh, as they're sick and that kind of thing here, just in this sort of little space. But um, I have uh, about 25 people we're going to baptize today, so which is amazing. So I don't want to go... Uh, too, too deep into that, but I, I always like to do this because I, I feel like when we, we um, Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer, and when we enter into that worship, that's one part, that's the hallowed be thy name part of the prayer, and that sort of paves the way, you know, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, for the next line, which is thy kingdom come, Amen. and it just makes a sense if you spend like an hour just declaring, Lord, hallowed be your name. Uh, then it's real easy sort of pray downhill into thy kingdom come, right? So we'll be praying for people afterward, although I think that it'll be a little more difficult uh, because of the people probably focus a lot of our energy on the new baptismal, uh, uh, baptized people and ask God to come on them. But I just can't resist. I always feel like uh, we should do this, and every service we do this, and I'm just going to make a general call, and I'll shorten it today. Usually I get a few words of knowledge and things, but... If any of you are suffering physically, and I know I have a dear brother over here who's been battling cancer, and we have another couple actually in our room that are doing that, and uh, I want to make sure you guys stand. Anybody that's battling some kind of sickness or disease, please stand up wherever you are, and I'm sure there's a number of you. And I want to ask God to do something amazing just right here in this moment. And if you see a person standing near you, there's Frank there, if you could just pray for him. And I know TJ's back there, and I, and I know the Savinos are over here. I know those, are, they're on that side of the room. There's others I could pick out over the room. But make sure you're standing if you have any kind of physical problem. Even if you're a guest here, and this is the first time you've ever come uh, to our church. Uh, um, and uh, I felt the Lord highlighted that lady in the gray hair that the lady in the purple is praying for. <laughs> that she doesn't know right there. There's something about you. God drove me to you. So Lord, make your anointing fall on her. May this be a great day of grace. I've never seen you before, but I feel God's grace is on you. You came here for a reason. Jesus brought you, as did everybody else. Now, Lord, as I just look at all across this room, just generally pray, but uh, I know you are specifically coming to each one of them. In the name of Jesus, be healed. May the name of Jesus be healed of your condition back injuries, pain, sorrow, cancers, every form of illness or sickness 
in this room, I just command you to lift. And in the name of Jesus, may the power of the Spirit rest on you. May the grace of our God rest on you. May the joy of the Lord rest on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes when I lead worship, I lead worship for the whole group of us. And sometimes when I lead worship, I find myself leading worship for a couple of us. I don't know why that is, but things draw on you as the person in charge of uh, leading the worship piece. And in the room today is definitely some things that I was like, that's an intentional worship moment for certain people in the room, right? So the last song in particular, um, it's good to just be reminded of how powerful God is. Jesse, Josh, and I wrote that song, or at least the bridge to that song, several years ago. We were just sitting in um, in the back there when they used to have a sound booth back there, and we were goofing around. I remember, uh, I remember just thinking that the lyrics of that song or that piece were just really um, important for who we were at that moment, and I think some of that is important for who we are right now. Um, just remind yourself that all of the mountains... We're going to shake. The wind rises up to sing. The stars obey him. Uh, The metaphor of that is just that he's in control of all of it. So It doesn't really matter. The things that spin out of control, at the end he wins and we win. And it's a good reminder in moments where we're in uh, chaos and flux in the world, um, and that said, I, I strongly believe that some of the greatest hope there is on this earth is, is within the local church. This is who God's people are. This is who we are together. And so when we give, we give to the idea of supporting a group, right? The local church is some of the greatest hope on the earth, for any kind of change that you want to see while we're still here. 25 baptisms today. 25 baptisms today. A super significant number. I don't know if we've ever done many more than that. Uh, Maybe at certain points, but that's a big number. Speaking of, if you're being baptized today, Peggy and Alvin are in the back. Peggy and Alvin, where the baptism signs are. If you guys want to go join them, that would be awesome. Uh, And for now, I'm just going to pray over our offering. God, thank you for the opportunity to give back to you today what is yours. Already yours, given to us, and we are just good stewards. And we give back to you today with grateful hearts for all you've poured out. And now we use that tithe, that percentage of what represents our time and our effort and the, the use of the gifts you've given to bless you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, Vineyard family. I'm Danielle, and here are our latest church updates. First up, we welcome you to join us for our annual Harvest Festival coming up on the last day of the month. 
please join us on Tuesday, October 31st from 6 to 8.30 p.m. in our outdoor courtyard for this festive family fun event. This event will include bounce houses, a taco truck, a giant slide, a mechanical bowl, balloon artists, a pumpkin decorating contest, music, and more. And we are also currently looking for volunteers. So if you're interested, you can sign up on the clipboards going around in the service or contact Erin from our events page. This is one of our biggest annual events, so we welcome you to invite your family and friends, and we can't wait to see you for this special occasion. Next up, we are hosting our Free to Love Again workshop from November 9th to 11th here in our main sanctuary. Join us on this Thursday through Saturday for this powerful workshop that helps heal broken relationships, teaches us how to forgive after divorce and deep trauma, and to walk in complete freedom and love. To register for this workshop, please visit the events page of our website and reserve your spot. To celebrate Veterans Day, we are hosting our Celebrate Our Veterans service on November 12th at 10 a.m. in the sanctuary. To prepare for this, we ask that all of our veterans and also those who are in active service submit photos of themselves, including their first and last name and their branch of service by Wednesday, November 1st. You can also submit a photo on behalf of your loved one. We will be sharing a special video that honors each veteran and celebrates these heroes of our country. To submit photos, please visit our events page. And lastly, we recently launched our five-minute devotionals and church testimonies. We encourage you to check out both of these new pages on our website under our main church tab. You can also view them on our YouTube and social media platforms. The testimony we shared last week of Janice was so miraculous and faith-inspiring. So make sure to check it out, and we pray that these new resources help encourage you in faith, hope, and love. And those are our latest church updates. If you're new here and wanting to get connected, please visit the table in the back of our sanctuary to receive your free gift. For more church info, check out your bulletins, visit vineyardln.com, and follow us on the Church Center app. And now it's time for 60 Seconds of Community. For the next minute, we invite you to stand and introduce yourself to someone new. And if you're watching us on the live stream, please comment below with something that Jesus has healed you from. God bless you. Hey, I'd just like to remind you guys that are getting baptized. We have a baptism sign back there. Follow Peggy out now, if you could, please. And uh, we'll go out to the tent for a moment. She wants to talk with you a little bit before we do the baptism at the end of our service here, all right? Again, she's back there in the back. It has the sign baptism. Feel free just to follow her, and uh, she'll help you. All right, so as people just uh, who are getting baptized, last call for anyone that's getting baptized, go follow Peggy with that beautiful baptismal sign in the back, and uh, she'll take care of you, and they'll have a little talk, and uh, youth, you can go as well. So hopefully everybody has a brief outline.
So uh, I should say on your outline, releasing God's authority in the nations. And um, so I want to just start with uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. Before I read those verses, I if, I get, if we get anything out of what I want to say today, I, I just want uh, us to be aware of how powerful we are in terms of what happens around the earth. Sometimes uh, I think uh, the enemy of our soul talks us out of who we really are. The Bible has some rather dramatic things to say about the people of God and their access to God, even when it looks like there's no access to God and it's impossible. And so there's this thing we call prayer and intercession. It's one of those access points. And um, I want to talk about that a little bit today. And um, Unfortunately, uh, in our culture, in our church culture, and uh, in the culture at large, we have weird sayings like, man, that guy doesn't have a prayer of making it, <laughs> right? You ever heard that phrase? They don't have a prayer of making it. Like, prayer is just a sort of the last resort that you hold, you know, throw up, and hopefully you hit something, and then every once in a while maybe you'll get a miracle or get a breakthrough or whatever, right? But that guy's so bad off, he doesn't even have a prayer of making it, even that last little hope thing. Well, we've mischaracterized that for a long time. We haven't understood the true power of intercession and prayer, largely because a lot of it goes uh, hidden. But uh, one thing I've become over the years is a prayer tracker. I always remember my prayers, and I always track them, and I watch them, right? And uh, I'll guarantee you, of all the prayer that's being offered over the Middle East right now, a lot's going on, a lot of amazing things that are going on. Uh, some of you ask me, you know, to know more about the situation and stuff, and I'm not really qualified to do that. But there are people that are. I'm going to read out of this book by Joel Rosenberg. Uh, he wrote a book called Epicenter, which was epic. <laughs> it was amazing, Epicenter, epic book. And it was written a few years ago, and since then, uh, I've been following him pretty closely. He actually works at the highest levels of our government and the Israeli government. He's a powerful Christian man, the author of a number of best-selling books, and I found him uh, to be very comforting and encouraging, uh, uh, listening to him and, talk, and just hearing people interview him. And uh, you might look him up online, and uh, I'm sure he has a lot to say. He comes from not only the Christian point of view and the prayer point of view and the spiritual things that we should be doing, but also is very, very good at being a Jew himself and being walking in the highest echelons of, of the government of Israel as well as the United States. And also knowing a number of Arab rulers is a pretty unusual person. He's sort of like a Daniel, really. And so anything that he's written or anything that you see by uh, him uh, write about the situation, uh, and he's been in the news lately, you might want to... Uh, take a look at. And I'll be quoting out of this book called Epicenter, which he also wrote, which is extremely helpful. I, I think I heard Hannity interviewing him the other day, or one of the Fox guys interviewing him the other day. And just even the little he said there was just so encouraging and so uh, uh, informative and uh, accurate and uh, kind of on the inside of what's going there. So it's important. And um, I think one thing that we all... Um, especially in this day of news and news media and everything, are just so hungry to get on the inside of every situation uh, and think we do just because we heard the news. But actually, the real history is made uh, in places that are secret. 
And I don't mean just secret places where uh, you can't get into top secret things. Certainly that's true. But there's also these uh, amazing things that happen behind the scenes these days especially and has been for a long time believers who are involved in the unfolding of events. So I assure you in this hostage situation all the rest that uh, Christians, Christian leaders, Christian people are at the very center of this actually doing their ministries and delivering grace to this situation. You won't hear a lot about them. Every once in a while one will pop out and you'll hear about maybe they're giving a lot of money or care to hostages. But there's this underground thing always going on in these situations. And through our experience in Asia, where we've seen a lot of trouble and a lot of trial, and uh, actually uh, uh, so many of you know about uh, our early forays into Cambodia and what that looked like. And I got actually, so Paul's daughter's here with us and his son-in-law are with us today, so I didn't know you guys were coming. So when I look at you, I think of, oh my gosh, you know, uh, I think of, talk about hostage situation. Your entire family was held hostage and uh, by a communist government in a very difficult, difficult situation. And his story of how he got out of that and how God released him is like incredibly inspirational. But as I think about how that all worked, at the very core of their deliverance out of the worst possible situation you can be in, uh, and I mean worst, just as bad as the Palestinians are in now, uh, meaning the people of Palestine on the both Arab and uh, Jewish side, uh, the situation that they're in right now governmentally, but also these hostage situations where Jews have been taken hostage and Christians and all kinds of people have been taken hostage. In that situation, um, we just have experienced a tremendous amount of uh, blessing just by having the testimony of that ringing in our house through all these years of what happened in the early days of Cambodia. And at the very core of the whole thing in terms of seeing answers and deliverance and stuff is prayer. At the very core. Uh, so the funny thing about it, the ironic thing is we wring our hands waiting to get the latest little tiny bit of information from over there and where it's going now. So it's sort of like a big drama or something. But sometimes we forget that we ourselves, even far away, are a part of the answer. So if you could just think about this for a moment, this great cataclysmic event, it certainly has the attention of every believer, that's for sure, right? Now that it has your attention, here's the thing you need to do about it. Make sure you spend a lot of time praying over this situation because your prayers work. Paul says this I, in First uh, Timothy 2, when I urge, then first of all, that that's interesting, first of all. So he's addressing constant crisis as he's addressing these churches that he started, right? They're under the heavy thumb of, of, of governments and of false brothers and Jews and Gentiles alike. So here's his advice to them. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So in this crisis, the verse 4 is God's will. Yes. He wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of God. That's all people, even the terrorists, everybody. There's some real famous terrorists in the Bible, by the way. One of them was Paul, right? <laughs> he turned out to be the best apostle of them all, right? Or one of the best, anyway. He was just amazing. And knowing his past and being converted the way he was, I believe right now as we pray, uh, the Lord will convert terrorists. Some of the best names you will find in Christianity in the next several years will be the ones that were in this horrible space, and then God got them, right? And uh, turned them back, right? 
So look what he says. I urge then, first of all, so I think that first of all is a good first of all for all of you. And I just mean, could I, I just challenge you, not just a first of all where you throw up a quickie prayer and then just take some time with a couple of people, maybe your family or especially in any meeting that you have, uh, just to pray like we did, just to ask God to have mercy in this situation. The situation that we're in right now is unique in the sense that the politics of it affects every person in this room. All right, so that makes it a little bit different. Sometimes we have crises over in another part of the world, but this one affects everybody, uh, everybody. And so, uh, as the Middle East has had the habit of doing, so then when he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. That means all people, both sides of this conflict, in and out and around. Some of our best leaders haven't even been saved yet. <laughs> Some of them are probably still terrorists. They just haven't got, God hadn't caught up with them yet, right? And I don't mean to demean that, I mean to make that small in any way or put a happy face on that because what they've done is atrocious, horrible. It's unfathomable, right, what's been done, right? And so uh, be sure they will be accounted for their sins. But God has this way of even redeeming in these situations and turning them around. Even the people that have been captive, uh, made captive, some of them, I guarantee, are believers who are praying and rearranging the circumstances of their trial, even right now, even their captors. I'll guarantee you there's a fair number of them that are praying for their, the people that have them. Their captors, the one that have got them in captivity, right now they're praying and interceding. I'll guarantee you that's happening. So I urge then, first of all, that. so it's interesting, he says, first of all, he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he says, you know, I've, I just, uh, he's encouraged him and exhorted him, but then he goes, you know, I want you to remember this. First of all, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this. I think that's a good first of all for us to remember in this current crisis. First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Amen. Hmm. Thanksgiving be made for all people. How could I have thanksgiving for certain kinds of people? Thanksgiving because God is going to get them. Thanksgiving because they, they matter to God. Thanksgiving, as we look across the entire history of redemptive history in the Bible, we find some of the most ornery, wicked people uh, turning to God and being turned to God, repenting and making changes, right? Everything from tax collectors to you name it were first on Jesus' list to go get, right? They came some of the greatest leaders of the church. Many through his church history, some of the worst people became the best people. The ones that had the highest bill to pay and were shown the most mercy began to show the most mercy to others, right? I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, things could be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. That's a real critical thing. I think that the uh, absolute worst thing that believers can do is make judgments on uh, leaders, right? I think you have to make judgments in the sense of judging what's right or wrong, but in the sense of who they are and where they're at whether it's the president of the United States or whether it's another we, your first call is to pray for those in authority because even if you don't like them, even if you don't think you're doing the right thing, they need to, there's one of my favorite verses, the, the God will channel the king's heart like water. So he can channel anybody any which way he wants, despite themselves or give them some revelation, however, however, you, however you look at that. For kings are all those in authority. We, we just need them, regardless of what mental, emotional, uh, religious state they're in, to make good judgments and govern well for our country and make good decisions, even sometimes despite themselves. Could your prayers be so powerful that despite these situations, that actually they could make good decisions? That's something that all of you, all of us need to come to grips with internally. Because some of what they've done we hate so much, but 
you can't hate that so much as to not keep your prayer life alive and keep yourself uh, grounded in heaven. Doesn't that sound funny? Grounded in heaven. Because God changes these people, can, can direct their paths, can just chart their course despite themselves, even with bad motives, right, for the benefit of everybody else. That's why you're supposed to king, pray for kings and all in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And obviously godly leaders help that better. And so another reason. I pray with all my heart, one of my deepest prayers for all of us in these days is that you would pray for the politics. You would pray for the leaders that are being nominated. You would pray for them. Not just be political, but pray, intercede, that God would give us the greatest leaders and the best people and that God would help even those that are in charge to do better and to involve us in just the right situation. All these decisions we can't make. Decisions made in foreign countries and places, we can't make them ourselves. But God can help them make the right decision, especially in response to the prayers. So for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God our Savior. Could I read that again? This is good and pleases God our Savior. I, I get sad sometimes when I talk on this subject because I find so few people actually have a prayer life, have a prayer dialogue. They pray occasionally when they get in trouble or when they're in difficulty, but they just, uh, and I feel sorry for them and I feel bad in a way for the whole church because uh, one thing I've learned to do is how I've learned uh, through my personal experience and uh, through other people's experiences how, how we can manipulate situations. I guess I'm a controlling person who turned all his manipulation to the heavens and found out it worked. Beware. <laughs> if you're kind of a controlling person and you find out that you can pray to heaven and change stuff. Some of those people are the best intercessors I know because they get a hold of the golden key. And then God takes them through all these little journeys of their own, right? They get, but they get all this golden key and they don't stop turning it, right? over their businesses, over their families, and then they get, God then disciples them into praying over other people, other their bosses, and then over government figures, then over world events, right? It's amazing how he takes us where we're at, right? This is good, he says, that we pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We, in Israel right now, we see what a, wow. Talk about praying for this. That would be the one that should be on everybody's lips if you live there, but we should be praying as well. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants how many people to be saved? Oh. Jews to be saved? Yep. Palestinians to be saved? Yep. Terrorists to be saved? Yep. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? All right. So this is a critical thing. I, I like this verse too. I, I'm just looking at it. I didn't mean to spend so much time to this, but I urge then, first of all, that petitions prayers. So like as we consider the present situation we're in, the very first thing, very first thing, I urge then, if I'm going to tell you anything, I'm going to give you any wise advice, Paul says, first of all, in light of your situation, in light of the heavy pressure you're under from these governing authorities or terrorists themselves and had, you know, persecuted the church and all this, I, I urge you, in light of all the trouble you've been through, Timothy, uh, please remind the church to petition prayer and intercede and give thanksgiving for all people. So I can just stop right there. Good job, Mike. I think we're done. Uh, so I believe God is raising up a new generation to hear His voice and pray His will into the most desperate and evil places. 
And so we see uh, the place of prayer is precious uh, to Jesus. Uh, uh, you know, in uh, Mark 1, 15 to 17, he said, My house will be called what? If for anything, we're a house of prayer. We are God's house and a house of prayer. In 1 Timothy 2, 2, so remember these scriptures are in the setting of, um, of negative uh, pl- places, right? So prayer for kings and all those in authority is our priority. The result is peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. The fact is, verse 3, good government pleases God. Prayer paves the way for people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So not only when we pray over these situations, we're just really affecting eternal destinies. In our day, the difference between good and bad rulers is fairly dramatic. Have you ever noticed that? Praying for governmental authorities is praying according to God's will, according to 1 John 5, 14 to 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. We don't get good government because we don't really believe that our prayers make a difference. Oof. We don't get good government because we don't ask for good government. Well, there's just not enough of us. Oh, yes, there is. Two or three are able to bind and loose all kinds of things. But even in sheer numbers in the United States of America, how many Christians do we have? How many people with the possibility of praying Jesus on their lips? When we have these cataclysmic events, they're just invitations to change the whole thing around. And I just think also that I think that uh, we have largely in the western United States, this is my opinion, a prayerless church. I think that uh, there's not very many that really emphasize that very hard. Uh, It usually stays in the realm of sort of, you know, last-ditch efforts and God's mercy, but praying over the nations and Asking God to change political things and figures and stuff isn't something that I think very many people knew do. Matter of fact, I know that's really true, and uh, because whenever we have a national day of prayer, nobody shows up. Why would that be? I just wonder how that could be. Because basically, we're a prayerless church. If God, if the United States government calls a national day of prayer and hardly any believers show up to pray. What does that say about us? Because we've become complacent. It's too easy. We think we're somehow, like, indestructible. But we discover at times like this how easy the entire world can be turned upside down. So I've been saying this, like, every month or so I've said this. When the National Day of Prayer comes up, this place should be packed. And I'm praying that it would be packed not only in times where there's trouble, but also when there's no trouble. Because that's the time you should really be praying. Because when there's trouble, you get all kinds of anxious thoughts and you're worried about stuff and you don't think clearly. You don't think as clearly. right? You, and, uh, and, and sometimes you get more passionate, but then not necessarily clearly. right? And I, I believe that um, this is really an important day for us to actually, maybe God's going to re-enlist all of us to pray for the nations, pray for the governments of the world, and pray for our own country, right? So, um, I want to just tell this little story. This book, Epicenter, written by Joel Rosenberg, is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. 
because he gets behind the scenes in the Middle East. This was a long time ago. This was written about 2006, 2007. How many read this book when it came out, Epicenter? Anybody read it? Okay, almost no one. Uh, highly recommend you read this. Even though it's an older book, you should read it because I remember the guy that I mentioned, Joel Rosenberg, had some insight. He was able to interview and actually go to the highest levels of our government. He's still doing it, uh, both Israeli and uh, uh, Arab governments and uh, uh, our government, right? So he tells this story, which I thought was uh, incredibly uh, insightful, and I, I just want to uh, read about it. Um, so in November 1990, Saddam Hussein ordered Iraqi General George Sada and his colleagues to plan a massive attack against Israel using every plane in the Iraqi Air Force. Quote, if the U.S. dared to attack Iraq, Saddam vowed, then he would order a retaliatory strike against Israel that would involve dropping chemical weapons on Israeli populations, killing hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Israelis. So he's, this George that we're talking about here, George Sada, was his top, one of his top aides. Uh, he was a general in the Iraqi army, but he was a believer. And he's in there listening to this, knowing that if he actually did this, that millions of people, I mean hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people could die as a result with collateral damage, just way beyond even Israel, but he was contemplating that. And um, so he found himself in a very Daniel-like position. And I just want to emphasize this. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm talking about this because uh, I know other stories as well. And it's remarkable how God still places key people in key government positions to influence and to change things, right? So our emphasis shouldn't be so much on hoping that God puts those people in key places of influence as we should be praying that God would do it, whether we ever find out about it or not. And I'll guarantee you many you will never find out about but played historically huge roles in the unfolding of world history as believers. That's why I like this guy Rosenberg. Um, he's been interviewed a number of times. He's a strong believer, but also one of those people that have risen in our day, uh, sort of like a modern-day Daniel in the sense of awareness and uh, just something unusual on him, which is really cool. So I want to just read this uh, and, uh, from, from this book. And uh, this happened... Um, well, I'll read it for you. Few people are more qualified to talk about the future of his country than Iraqi General George Sada, for he knows firsthand how far his people have come already. Now in his 60s, now this is an old book, so he's probably in his 70s, Sada has uh, served as the chief spokesman for the prime, Iraqi prime minister and as a senior advisor of the Iraqi president. And he is one of the chief architects of the new Iraqi military, but he is once Iraq's top fighter pilot, his country's air... Uh, Air Vice Marshal and a top military advisor to Saddam Hussein, a role he did not seek and one that almost cost him his life. In November 1990, only two months before U.S. and coalition forces liberated uh, Kuwait, Saddam or ordered Sada and his colleagues to plan a massive attack against Israel using every plane in the Iraqi Air Force. If the U.S. dared to attack Iraq, Saddam vowed that he would order a retaliatory strike against Israel that involved dropping chemical weapons on Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, and other population centers, killing hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Israelis. Sada was horrified. So he's this Christian in the middle of all these people. As a devout evangelical Christian working for a ferociously anti-Christian regime, he had refused to join the Ba'ath Party and was deeply 
came to see what Sodom was doing to his beloved country. Yet remarkably, he had been promoted through the ranks anyway, partly because of his flying ability and leadership skills, partly because of his reputation for telling his superiors the truth no matter what the consequences, and partly because Sodom did not see him as a direct and personal threat to him and his regime. Now, Sodom faced the most difficult moment of his life. If he expressed even doubt, much less opposition to the plan, he would be signing his own death warrant. But how could he keep silent? He abhorred the thought of annihilating Jews. In his eyes, the Jews were God's chosen people and the authors of the scriptures he had loved since growing up in the ancient Assyrian city of Nineveh, modern-day Mosul. What's more, he knew that since most of Iraq's bombers and fighter jets would no doubt be shot down before entering Israeli airspace, most of Iraqis chemical weapon-laden bombs would land likely on Jordan and Syria, killing thousands, if not millions, of Iraq's neighbors. So when Sodom asked for his counsel, Sada said a, a prayer asking God for mercy, <laughs> braced himself for the worst, and refused to support the plan. In fact, in front of at least 90 other senior military officers, he actually sought to dissuade Sodom from attacking Israel by launching into a highly technical description of Israel's air defense systems and the enormous challenges Iraqi pilots would have going up against superior technology and training. His presentation lasted an hour and 41 minutes, and when it was over, the room was dead silent. Not many men disagreed with Sodom and lived to tell about it. Several of Sodom's colleagues told him later that they had been certain he was going to be executed on the spot. But by God's grace, he survived. So, of course, did Israel. Wow. So God still has his guys in high places. And I'll guarantee you it's the same even as we speak today uh, over these issues. And um, God also has raised up this man, uh, Joel, and others like him to be in very, very unusual places. And um, this George... Sada was a modern-day Daniel, a man of faith and prayer whom God used to speak truth to a modern-day, oddly enough, Nebuchadnezzar, right? <laughs> to give a historical analogy in Iraq. So what about Gaza? Well, I believe that many George Sadas are being activated at this moment, holding key positions in the military, holding key positions even amongst the Palestinians, maybe not positions, but authority to pray a part of the whole thing even captives and hostages, even amongst them. It wouldn't be surprise me if we find out at the end of this that there were some Christians that got <laughs> captured that now are every bit a part of praying, calming, and being like salt and light in the situation. And so it's God's purpose to release the authority of his kingdom through his people today. And that includes us that are right here in this, this room. And, of course, all the major players that are at work in these various areas of the world. Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth, and he said to me, I have put my word in your mouth. This is very interesting. This is, he's talking to Daniel. See today, I'm sorry, he's talking to Jeremiah. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Interesting. Now, Jeremiah is a prophet. He's not a ruler, right? So how is it that he has the authority? I See, I appoint you to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Wow. 
What did he do? He touched his mouth and said to me, I've put my word in your mouth. So Jeremiah became this intercessor and this prophetic person. This was an intercessor and a prophetic person. He was getting words from God about the situation and then he was praying them through. Now, I just got to take a moment for this because we are largely a prayerless people. I don't mean to condemn anybody. I just mean it's a fact. <laughs> that condemns a little bit, doesn't it? Well, never mind. But you, um, especially for the Lord's call, it's because we have a secular worldview in our culture. And uh, most cultures of the world are fairly religious. They're just pointed the wrong direction, <laughs> right? And so they do endless sacrifices, this and that, to appease the gods. And I'm not sure who's in a better place, a secular humanist or a person that's been secularized even as a believer and this poor person out, you know, uh, worship around, dancing around, you know, giving food to idols. At least they have a supernatural worldview. A secular worldview is the death of the church. We are influenced every day of our life. And the way you can know that is just by simply how we pray or don't pray. Just think about the reasonableness of this. Jesus makes these amazing proclamations. Most of us don't even know what those amazing things are if you bind anything. I mean, if you pray, I'll loose, bind, and pray in my name, I will do it. What? Really? This would be a good day to bind and loose, I would think, right? But every day is a good day to bind and loose. So he touches the mouth of this prophet. Is God still touching the mouth of prophets today? Yeah. But the thing is, what's changed is that we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's not just certain major people that are around to do all the prophesying. Certainly God, like this George guy, put him in a, you know, but he's like putting him in a unique place. Right? That's true. But see, today I point you over nations and kingdom to uproot and tear down to destroy and earth to build and to plant. So we see then with regard to the church now in this situation that we're in that things have turned around with Jesus and now the body of Christ has this unique position to actually change and rearrange the circumstances of the world both in what we do and these anointed proclamations that we make in the name of Jesus to heal even the most desperate situations. As the church began to emerge and move into the earth we see some unusual stories that I think are so cool. You know, one of the first ones that happened as the church began to find itself, and they began to spend all the time praying, interestingly enough. The early church spent most of their time praying, and the second thing they did was giving to the poor. I can't think of a better lifestyle and a better genetic code from a church, having mercy for the poor and praying all the time. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to make our church like that. I pray you do that. Make our church like that praying all the time, and dealing with the poor all the time. It's a great recipe. You can see this in actually Acts chapter 2, uh, 42, right? You can see it's clear. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to what? Prayer. They're filled with signs and wonders, everything in common. Guess what did they did? They sold their possessions, gave to everybody in need. They continued to meet together in temple courts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord's adding to their number, adding to their number, adding to their number, right? So we make anointed proclamations in the name of Jesus and heal the most desperate of situations. By faith, in uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 16. So this guy gets healed, right? 
And look at this verse that Jesus says to everybody. He says, first of all, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now that little declaration there. Now Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. But this signs and wonders sort of atmosphere, this prayer sort of atmosphere was how the church was born. I believe that our church and all New Testament churches need to enter into this same atmosphere. Unfortunately, we're heavy under the influence of secular humanism, which keeps us from being spiritual people. And uh, I fight against this all the time in my own life and other people's life because of just the way our culture is. It takes spiritual things out of the mix, and if it adds spiritual things, it seems to add them from the dark side. People are more interested in witchcraft and all kinds of weird stuff, right? But Christians, one of the reasons why is we've left a vacuum. We kept our secular worldview as believers. So that's why I take such great pains in our church, and we take great pains in our church to teach from the Scriptures the reality of the supernatural, of God and us as supernatural persons. So week after week, day, you know, week after week, all year long, I have my little class called Life in the Spirit. Because I realize if I don't help you understand and get into this spiritual worldview place and have an experience of your own with the Holy Spirit and begin to walk like that, you're going to really have a hard time in our church, number one. And number two, you're going to miss out on so much of what you need to know fundamentally about Jesus Christ. You don't need to know doctrine. You need to know how to interact with God. You need to know that He's real, that He heals, He delivers, He still does these things. And then when you get in crisis, you become incredibly valuable because you can hear God's voice. You can pray for a Sodom Hussein or whatever, even though you might be indirectly right underneath them, right? You can manipulate things. You can rearrange things, right? And so Jesus was very clear about this uh, supernatural lifestyle. But one of the problems that we have is prayer is at the very core of it, and prayer is such a spiritual thing that most of us, it eludes us, confuses us, uh, hasn't become part of a habit of our life. I'll guarantee you as history unfolds, we will all become very nice prayers. We will all find our prayer life again. One of the joys of my life is actually to have our business prayer meeting. The reason why I like it is because it invades right directly. A purpose is to pray for your business. But in the praying for your business, you're praying God's hand it, and you begin to learn about God through the things that are most appropriate to you, right? That you have to get up and face every day and work 40, 50 hours a week at when we're praying over that situation, right? And you see miracles happen, you get the idea. That's why I like to, to invade secular situations like that and, and do that. Uh, I just think it's the most uh, um, amazing thing. It challenges the worldview that we're all in, right? Here's the instructions Jesus gave the church. This is the very the, the first instructions, his training program. Do not go among the Gentiles or any, any way of the Samaritans, right? Yet, yet. Go rather the lost sheep of Israel as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Wow. And he says, and you know what? Don't take any money with you. Don't take any money with you. Yeah. I mean, modern missions, we can imagine. Don't take any money. What? what do you mean, don't take any money? These people need support. What do you mean, don't take any money? Well, truth be known, they need the money, but it's only to support but they've done the other thing first. And that's the way I support things. And uh, there's an amazing church, by the way. 
It's right on the edge of this disaster. I've known about it for a long time now. As far as I can tell, it's one of the only apostles that I know that actually exists in Israel. And guess where his church is? Not just his church, but churches. He's planted 12, 15 of them. And guess where they all are? In this area we're talking about. They're all right on the edge of Gaza. They're all in this whole area. So I texted him the other day. It's pretty cool. Texted him. And he's his normal, upbeat self. I mean, he's living on the edge of hell and has no problems. He's just thinking, this is the greatest opportunity I've ever seen. And that's so awesome. He literally has an apartment that's a bomb shelter, as do all the people and where he lives. He lives near Ashdod. So all those people have, and they have all these drills and everything they do all the time, and all the apartments, everything has a, he lives in a, they all live in bomb shelters. I mean, they make their apartment a bomb shelter. His church is a bomb shelter. I mean, the whole thing where they meet and get, it's all a bomb shelter. Can you imagine? But he's one of the happiest people I've ever met, and full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, planting churches all over the place, using both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Arabs, all of them, all together, right? He's Jewish himself. But he has a number of, of, of uh, people that are from Muslim background involved in this church. And, and the ones that he has the most problem with are the rabbis. They're the ones that torment him the most, believe it or not. They give him more trouble than the Muslims do, right? But of both categories, he works day and night, day and night. And it's a Jewish church, a Jewish multiplying church, you know, apostolic work, reaching out to both Gentile and Jew alike, doing an amazing thing. He's my hero. Maybe you'll hear this. You're my hero, Israel. <laughs> His name is Israel. Lord, I pray for him right now. He's on the edge of this incredible uh, uh, tragedy, and I know him, and I know what he's doing, and I know he's giving help and, and serving and preaching the gospel all through this area at much uh, danger to himself, and I pray, God, you'd protect him and all his people. And may this man have a major harvest in Jesus' name. May it be so amazing. May it be remarkable what happens, right, in Jesus' name. Uh, one thing that I'm hoping I'm communicating, and it's on C there of your outline, and I'm getting through this fairly quickly because I want to make sure that we do our baptism. And also I just think some of these uh, passages are something, things that we've been doing for a while, but it never gets tired. Tired. You know, I never get tired of talking about them. And as we see situations that we're in right now, I think that uh, here's the thing that's a difference between where I hope our people are and where most Christians are. So they're thinking, well, I may be kind of along the lines, of, well, I hope that my prayers hit something. I hope that you know they do some good. I'll I'll I'll, I'll be sure to say a little prayer for Israel, right, or for the situation. And I'm hoping, by God's grace, that we've gone way past that and that we pray daily, night and day for the situation, not because we're desperate, but because we know that our prayers actually make a difference. There's a huge difference in a church that knows their prayers make a difference and one that doesn't. We're working on that. I think we're still behind, but we're working on it. The difference between a person who knows to pray and a person that prays every once in a while. The people that know how to intersect with the supernatural are quite remarkable. They're full of hope. And these situations that exist that come up like this, they, they are right on it. They don't fumble around trying to figure out something to do. They just continue to pray. And then the Lord will lead them to things. So I had this leading to call this, this pastor. 
And he, he, he answered right away, just all the things he had to do. It was amazing, right? And I knew right then and there, as, God, as I'm speaking, to, you know, I'm communicating, I knew, okay, well, I'm going to be working with him in the near future. <laughs> more and more I told him so. And so we'll see how that uh, works out. And, uh, but um, it's a perfect place. Uh, if we were going to do anything as a church, it's the thing, ideal thing. I've been around all these refugee crises and things around the world for a long time. And uh, not all of them, but a number of them, especially in Asia. And uh, I've learned that, uh, you know, it's so critical for believers to be involved in these places that believe in the supernatural, that believe not only in giving food and clothing, but actually become lights in the place, like this George Sada was. And, and the Lord gives them special wisdom in these camps and places. I've watched this all over the world in desperate situations where, you know, and I've told you many times about Mother Teresa and that little refugee camp she had, which they actually, I think the Indian government uh, uh, removed or tried to remove uh, after her death, but just an amazing place. Death and destruction everywhere, and here all these believers are, and you look at a big campus of acres, and there are people lying around everywhere near pools of water or in place and people in wheelchairs, and volunteers from all over the world praying for them and blessing them, changing their bandages, taking care of them, Oh, my. That's what I call heaven on earth. And that's why in our own way, with regard to the warehouse and things that we're doing, this is heaven on earth. We don't get, have to, to minister to people that are not doing well and finding them housing and food. We get to. It's our greatest privilege, right? We get to do it here, and we get to do it abroad. It's part of our job description. It's part of the wonderful thing that we're... we're we're called to do, right? So on the one side, this practical, beautiful, benevolent side, but then there, here's this other side that I'm just enlisting all of you to be a part. I'm also signing you up not only for the Marines, but the uh, Air Force, right? Truly I tell you, Matthew 18, 18 to 20, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Wow. We're not hopeless. We have all the help we need. It's just a matter of God can find two or three people that would gather together and pray. Not just once, but make it a lifestyle. Once you get into binding and loosing lifestyle, you never go back. Because you realize how much you can manipulate. <laughs> I don't mean to be manipulative or controlling, but if you're a controlling, manipulative personality and you actually get a hold of uh, how to intercede, you'll be great at it, right? Because you find out what you can get away with. You find out. That's why I do weird stuff. You know, I do a lot of stuff, and one of our, my highest goals is to be in constant prayer because I know how much I can manipulate and can take care of through that. Right? And once you get a few under your belt, you, you know, everything you see around you here has been prayed in, every bit of it, through the most amazing... We, we're a church built on miracles, one after the other. And I hope all churches are. I think they are. But we're, I'm very aware of it. So now I'm going for more miracles. That's why you might find me walking across the street, you know, walking like I don't know what I'm doing, up and down the 
the, around, across the street, around the property, looking like, you know, having to be questioned by security guards, wondering what you're doing there. Something's, you must be up to something no good, right? No, I'm just stalking it in a good way toward the Lord, right? I'm asking God. There's a gigantic building over there. Surely somebody can do something with that gigantic building that would be of use to our community, right? Uh, besides make, lining the coffers of pagan uh, companies to make more and more money to do nothing but uh, pollute the uh, political and uh, spiritual atmosphere of our country, right? So, like even over there, that whole thing is up for grabs. How many of you have prayed over that? Please. Please. Please, I'm begging you. Every day, pray over that. There's something going on there. I don't know what to make of it. I just know there's something that God wants to do redemptive over there. And I'm going to be really disappointed if it doesn't happen. So you guys pray over that. There's an inheritance over there. There's something there for the weak and the broken. There's something there for our children. There's something there for... Oh, man. I don't want to open this. But anyway, we... Just say this. There's something over there for a university. All right? So we're already on it. So I don't want to go into detail about that, but it's crazy. It's already way into motion, farther than I ever dreamed. But there's things that God wants us to be a part of, right? Amen. And so tragedies bring us to a place where we just, you know, uh, really, uh, you know, wonder what can we do and so on and so forth. But if you've been praying all along, all the days of your life for miracles to happen and you're on the edge of constant failure, you know, and you're praying like that, you're ready for anything that happens in the world, right? And this is the way God wants us to be. Be ready for anything that we can pray outside of ourselves and inside of us and any part of our families and respond so well to trouble and cancers and diseases inside and broken families and broken households and then also be so equipped to also call out to the nations and even faraway places like Iraq. We can pray for kings and all those who are in authority. This is the time that we should be doing this. This is why Paul says, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And that situation in Iraq, this is this is what it is. This is in the situation in the Middle East, in the situation in, in Israel, this is it. This is God's will. All people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All people. Pray for all the kings, all those in authority, because he wants everybody saved. Amen. Even evil people, especially evil people, and terrorists. And pray for God to raise up key people in those areas to stand up and pray and to be an intercessor and be useful, right? By our very presence, we are walking and talking expressions of God's grace, releasing the authority of the kingdom to those around us. And I'll just uh, finish here with reading Matthew chapter 10, 1 to 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the, apostle, the 12 apostles, and he gives that list. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Here's your instructions. They, these instructions, the original ones that went out, are our instructions in a variety of ways. Do not go among the Gentiles or any, any of the Samaritans. That's, we're past that part because this was his initial instructions, but then it was to everyone, right? 
go to the lost sheep of Israel, but this is the key. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. We've received the same commission. So whether where you're working, no matter what neighborhood you're in, your commission is to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Their commission is our commission, as we see later in the scriptures. Then he tells them, don't take any gold or silver or any of that. Don't worry. Wherever you go, you're worth the support. Da, da, da. He says, I t- tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for that town if they don't receive the message you give them, right? Because I'm offering them help and they're rejecting it. Wow, that sort of puts you in a whole new unique place, doesn't it? This is on the day of judgment, right? When things are all judged and you are exposed to the gospel. That's how powerful and weighty our word is. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Good advice. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in synagogues. On my account you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. This George Sada story and even the story that happened even for when we went into uh, to Cambodia for the first time and stuff, we found ourselves in this place. And uh, he says, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And one thing that we found is we, and around the world in various nations and stuff, and, and we got some, uh, uh, actually some Paul's daughters here today, and uh, his son-in-law, so I, I said that earlier, but and it's just sort of inspiring to me. Because I remember how we went into that country and how ill-equipped and how we found ourselves just suddenly thrust in front of the leader of the whole nation after having lost our luggage. And I had ketchup stains still on my shirt. I couldn't change or anything. And the guy that's around the, around the uh, baggage claim said, uh, who would you like to see? And I, we were kind of tired and I was just kind of joking. And I said, bah, I'd like to see the prime minister. And he said, okay. And uh, I thought, well, that's odd. He must, be, he must be joking too. Uh, and he wasn't joking. He says, I know him. I, uh, if you want to go see him. He said, why do you want to see him? Well, we want to plant churches and uh, we want to cause the kingdom of God to explode in Cambodia. And I said, oh, really? Hmm. Well, you can still see him if you like. I said, when? He says, well, I'll arrange it for tomorrow. Is that soon enough? I said, yeah, I hope my luggage is back by that time. Well, that wasn't. So we're walking in with the same clothes. I had a ketchup stain on my shirt walking in to see this guy. And we went in there and talked to the leader of Cambodia. Can you believe that? Just sitting there. There we are, like Frodo. <laughs> Walk in. And they were really starved for news at the time, right? So they had the cameras running uh, and everything. And they would just, and we were on the news, right, sitting there, you know, as these great emissaries. And they had a political reason for it, I'm sure. It wasn't all that we were just so magnificent. As a matter of fact, we weren't magnificent. I think they were actually relieved that we were just sort of looked like Frodo like them. They were very common, murderous people. <laughs> but very com- you know, common, right? And so we went in there, and so Paul's the one that had the most to lose. I mean, he had been tortured and all kinds of horrible things gone through while he was in Cambodia and then the Vietnamese. And there we are. And I was thinking about this story with regard to what's going on now and this other story I just mentioned, right? Releasing authority of the nations. And there we are sitting there. And uh, I like to relive this story because it reminds me of how when God wants to make a way for even the average person in a horribly difficult situation 
in our own government or beyond. I've experienced this with governmental authorities on our own land. Sometimes I just feel so out of shape and uh, out, of, out of place. But it's that very thing of humility and knowing the power of God that gives you just such authority in that place. Knowing full well you have nothing to offer. Knowing full well you don't have anything but a prayer. <laughs> it's one of the safest places and the most powerful places you could ever be. Especially when there's risky things involved, which there were that time, especially for Paul. They could have easily thrown him into jail and tormented him for another several years, right? But there he went, and uh, the guy asked him what we wanted to do. He wa- what we wanted to do, and I, and I thought to myself, man, oh man, here we go. There's no sense hiding. They'll find out anyway. Well, we want to plant churches all throughout Cambodia, and we would like to minister to the poor and broken and, and feed the poor, and I just said some things about that, and that was it. And then I held my breath. And he kind of smiled. He looks back at me, you know, he goes, well, could you build me a school in my rural town of such and such? And I said, sure. <laughs> I still can't believe I said that. And I said, how much will, be, will it cost? How, how much do you think it will cost? Uh, he said, probably $25,000. And I said, no problem. Didn't have $25,000 cried all the way home, but anyway, not only that, beyond that, we signed a lease on a gigantic building to, re- to rent. I mean, gigantic. It was four stories high and half a block long, and we didn't have any converts yet. And I asked him if he knew of a place that we could rent. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I think I might know one. Turned out, I found out five years later, it was his property, and it was huge, huge. And of course, we had no, I mean, just a handful of people. I saw Paul hadn't even located there yet, right? And even when he got there, he finally got there and he finally landed, he got kicked out promptly because he found out who he was. And then he had to go back. <laughs> so a little crazy. But that was how the thing was built. That's how it started. We had no money for that. I was on the hook for 15000 a month for like a 15-year lease. I had no money whatsoever. How I was going to do that. I was crying all the way home. I got home to a prayer meeting that was happening in our living room, and I walked in there. There's this lady in there. She was, I, I knew her kind of, didn't recognize her, and I told her about the story a little bit, and uh, she walked out on the driveway, and I remember where I was standing, where she was standing, and she said, uh, well, how much do you need to get started? And I said, oh, hmm. well, let's see, build the thing that he wants, and the first month's rent, uh, 40000 bucks. And I just, just like I didn't I didn't say it like that. I just looked down forty thousand dollars. I barely said it. What'd she say? I said forty forty thousand dollars. She gets in her purse, writes a forty thousand dollar check to me right there on the I I didn't even know that I never met her in my life. She writes a forty thousand dollars. She happened to be in my home that day, writes me a forty thousand dollar check. Uh, hmm. Well, I guess God likes this stuff in the nations, okay? <laughs> so that set us on our adventure that's been going on all these years, even to this day. Been through all kinds of horrible things. Um, Cambodia is not the garden spot of the earth. Uh, still highly contested, a very difficult, difficult place to live and situation. And yet the church soldiers on, and we've been helping that ever since. But I have a feeling that... Um, Many of us are going to be involved in these out-of-the-way places before it's over with, and um, I think we're in that season, and um, maybe many of us will find ourselves into uh, um, the Middle East and perhaps even to uh, Arabic-speaking places. Everybody wants to go to Israel, but wonder if you end up in uh, some uh, Arab capital of the world. 
I'll guarantee you God will not rest till all the peoples of the earth get saved. And I guarantee you on the top of his list is not only Israel, but these people that don't know their right hand from their left, right? All right. All right. Let's all stand. Looks like I have my baptismal people rolling in here. And uh, somebody go get them. We're going to have a great baptism. If you would like to stay for that, that would be great. Uh, I hope that uh, some of our worship leaders could come up a little bit. Um, this is a great event. We're going to have a great time here. I, I don't know how many exactly will baptize. I think it's 20-something like that. Oh, there we all are. Ooh, this is going to be really good. I can't wait to do this. Well, here we go. All right. Whoa, got some kids. Keep coming, keep coming. All right. Huh? Yeah, I think we probably may need that. All right. So I want to just do something for a moment before we uh, go to that. And you guys can leave if you want when you're time. But let's, let's just pray for a moment. And I'd just like you to just... Let's make this commitment to each other. And uh, think before you do it a little bit, but why don't you commit to pray just more than just kind of off the cuff, just pray sincerely for Israel right now. And uh, then if ask God if He wants you to do something more than that, uh, like give toward a cause or, or maybe even go there. I don't know. But uh, let's just make sure that we just on this day as we're bat- before we baptize people, we're, we're just uh, in prayer about this situation. And I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray not only that the Lord would has cause us to pray right now for the peace of Israel and for that whole area, but also that He would just keep you praying and interceding. Yes. So, Lord, my first prayer is that You would cause people to keep praying and interceding, taking their amazing place before You in the throne room of God for the lost and the broken and for the situation in Israel. That your kingdom would come, your will would be done. That you would work through rulers and evil rulers and good rulers, Arab rulers and Israeli rulers, other rulers, Lord, in the United States, Europe and places. And that the enemy is meant for such horrible, terrible destruction, you would turn to good. So Lord, we just ask you in Jesus' name, right everybody? Lord, have mercy on this land. Have mercy on Israel. Have mercy on the the surrounding nations. Have mercy on those hostages. Lord, I pray they'd be released miraculously in Jesus' name. I pray they'd be released miraculously. I pray, Lord, that you would just cause such a sign and a wonder to happen that way. There would be none of them killed, Lord. I pray, Lord, these people that are trapped would be let go. I pray in the name of Jesus that you bring justice to the land in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, you bring a great and just a solution that has redemption in it, Lord. The salvation of those people, Lord. Arabs and Jews and every kind in between. We pray for all those that were captured. I pray every one of them will be released. Lord, I pray not one of them would be lost. From this moment forward, not one of them will be lost in Jesus' name. And I pray for a prayer. I pray, God, that you would cause every person in this room to pray over this situation day and night until this thing gets to some sort of resolution. And then afterward, praying for the peace of Jerusalem is something that's been given to the church constantly to pray over. And praying for the Arabs and all those that are involved with us, they'd all get saved. The churches would be started amongst these populations all across uh, the world, across the nations in Jesus' name. And that God would just rule, just like this George guy stood up there in the midst of his enemies, Lord, and was able to speak in that way and brought redemption and 
to so many people just because he was in a strategic place, a strategic time. I pray you would use us like that, Lord. Use in strategic places and strategic times. I pray we wouldn't discount any of our journeys in the Lord. Whatever you call us to do in these days that are coming ahead, these difficult days, days that are fraught with danger, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, you would use us. We volunteer. Use our prayers. Use our volunteerism. Use our money. Use everything, Lord, for your glory. In this season of time, Lord, at this hour, in Jesus' name.